Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Fairly Far-Fetched. Over here you've got me, Kia. Over there you've got Gavin. Hello. And also here with me we have my good friend Shirag. Hi Shirag. Hey, how you doing? Shrag, we're going to get into proper introductions in a second, if that's okay. It's traditional around these parts to start off with an opening question. So, on the uh, Pokemon Instagram this week, they put out a question to all their followers saying, if you were to uh, be in a Pokemon school, what class would you take and why? And I thought the fairly far-fetched flip of that would be, who would be the ideal Pokemon teacher and why? Gavin, what are your thoughts? So I went with, and I've unfortunately I've already lost the number. I clearly didn't write it down. That's annoying. Uh, Pokemon called Malamar. Malamar. Yeah, who's like some weird, evil-looking squid thing. Evolves from. I hate MK. that guy. Um, and I decided that he would be a great defense date, uh, defense against the dark arts teacher, but only for one year. <laughs> So, what is it with you when you're crossing over the metaphors? <laughs> so, obviously, a defense against the dark, dark arts teacher uh, is, a, mm. is a cursed role. Uh, they only last one year. <laughs> and uh, Malamar is clearly evil and working for Voldemort. Um, when it comes to hypnosis, there is an endless number of people who utilize Malamar for their nefarious deeds. Uh, so I thought, yeah, he was perfect. But... Really, if we're talking like an actual class, I'd like to learn like sleight of hand techniques from him or something because he's Lovely, like, yeah. clearly like Darren Brown levels of like awesome. So yeah, Malamar. All right, Shrag, who's your ideal Pokemon teacher and why? Okay, hear me out. Uh, so I was trying to think about what would I want to be taught. Uh, where could I improve in my life? And I was like, I could do with being a bit fitter. Okay. So gym teacher, fitness trainer, Mankey. Mankey, perfect. Go on. Well, a terrifying so i think i'd be motivated he's kind sure. of got the authority of a small muscly man uh, <laughs> yeah. which i think is important uh and i think yeah generally the fear factor i think that would be a great great uh trait in a fitness trainer you know what's weird is that monkey. you and i've both gone very similar interesting but different pokemon so i've gone for, so when i was a kid i was not great at school I didn't really like paying attention too much. Didn't really think I'd get any value out of it. Very, very distinctly average student, as Gav will account for. Sure. Um, So I thought I needed a bit of fear from a teacher to really like get me to knuckle down. So I went for Pokemon number 302, Sableye. Now, Sableye is a ghost type Pokemon. And on the Pokedex, it says this. They are feared... Because these Pokemon are thought to steal the spirits when their eyes burn with a sinister glow in the darkness. Okay. And I just figure, I'm going to be paying attention to that Sableye teacher, you know? Oh, right. If he's burning into my soul with his darkness. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Doesn't mean he's a good teacher, but sure. (laughs) No, but he can control me. Okay. Good if you're taking classes in the evening. Very Mm. good point. Okay, that's actually a really good point. I'd have to take night classes with Sableye. <laughs> and thought about the logistics of that at all. Okay, thank you guys. So today's episode, as you will see from the title, is about Pokey Cities. So what would be different about the architecture of our buildings, the way our cities are planned in a world where Pokemon exist, which is, of course, the fairly far-fetched hypothetical idea. So, Shirag... Buddy, I've invited you on today uh, with a bit of architectural uh, experience to plug mine and Gav's very glaring knowledge gaps in this subject. Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? <laughs> yeah, sure. So uh, I work with Kia, uh, but before that I had a life working and studying as an architect. Uh, part of that as well was kind of looking into cities, how we plan them, mm. what works about them and things like that. So I will use my hopefully slightly inflated knowledge compared to you two <laughs> to this conversation but don't count on it well yeah, thank you much. very much for coming on the show yeah i appreciate it um a fascinating field of study for it for sure and i guess like shall we just start off by talking about the general principles of kind of pokey architecture so i wonder if gav like in the games and hmm. in the anime, the towns and cities are these massively important hubs for like progressing the story. And they've got loads of important buildings that you just couldn't 
play the game without. So, Gab, sure. why don't you tell us a bit about the towns in the games and what we can learn from them? Okay, yeah, sure. Well, the first thing I would say is that they're not massive. Um, they're massively important, but they are yeah. absolutely uh, minuscule. That's uh, probably down to the um, limitations of the video games themselves, um, because it's certainly improved over the years. Now, in every sort of town, city, you've got a Pokemon Center. You've mm. got a, most of them have a Pokemon gym. You've almost definitely got a uh, a Pokemon Mart in there uh, somewhere as well. And you normally have some Pokemon themed businesses, maybe like an arcade or like um, like a, a flower shop or something like that. But they'll be themed around Pokemon because that's all these people's lives revolve revolve around. <laughs> um, so you make uh, it sound so sad. <laughs> um, so the. Uh, most important thing is the uh, Pokemon Center, I would say, uh, because it's uh, something that the entire uh, community is is built around because everyone has Pokemon. Everyone needs a place to heal their Pokemon in a world where we battle them. Mm. And we also uh, sort of need a place, like a, a one-stop shop for, you know, everything Pokemon. And, that, and Pokemon Center these days sort of certainly fulfills that um, role in the community. Mm. Um, we've also got Pokemarts, which have now been combined these days with the Pokemon Center. Um, mm. So it's somewhere you can go to buy Pokeballs, potions, all that things. And then obviously we have Pokemon Gyms. These are the places that Kira and I have been talking about um, that you can go to and you can progress in your Pokemon career, uh, attain your badges and move forward in your in your life. Yeah, I love it. So Shirag, when you hear that as a description, and I know that you, you played Pokemon Red, right? Yeah. Um, what are the kind of similarities or differences you're picking up from how the cities are structured in the Pokemon world to our world? Uh, I think the key thing is actually our relationship with animals and with nature changes. Mm. So if you kind of think of, or a way to think of the city historically is that, you know, they originally arrived as these um, sort of centres of a human population that actually arguably kind of shut out nature i think even back in the past there was this idea that uh, nature was unclean and actually a healthy way of living as humanity was so for example interesting uh things like having pavements and actually kind of cutting out that sort of degradation and waste um whereas actually now what we're moving towards is that this notion of a healthy lifestyle is actually much more ingrained with nature mm. so i think that would be a huge change or that actually kind of sits akin to how the way we see how we want to live changing now. Uh, the other thing I think is really interesting is the poker centre is this heart or this hub. Big time. Um, so quite often from my memory of playing the game is that the poker centre or a place to heal your Pokemon would sit on the edge of the city because it's, sit, you know, you go out into the grasslands, you catch Pokemon, you do some battling yeah. uh, and then you need to get back and fix your, or like heal your Pokemon. Mm. Uh, and to me, that kind of reminds me of uh, like train stations and airports okay go on uh, so if you think of a train station right sort of and some of the grand ones like St Pancras Preston those sorts of things uh, a way to think of them is that they're quite often this first thing you see uh, when you enter a new city it's quite a statement piece and that's mm. why you've kind of got these really beautiful train stations like St Pancras is you know probably one of my favourites uh, if you compare that to now uh, airports are probably the new equivalent for mm. architects. The mm. idea of being able to work on an airport is like, oh my God, I'm going to create this iconic piece of architecture. It's a real statement um, about this city and about my style. Oh, uh, cool. So it's like you you would almost aspire to be an architect for something like an airport. Some do, for sure. And I think the poker centre would be the new equivalent to that, right? Is huh. the, this is the first bit of our city that you see. It's going to be our statement about what we're about. Uh, and I think because travel, you know, potentially changes with Pokemon being real, you may not need airports anymore. You may not need train stations anymore. So I think the Poker Center would fill that space of like our identity could be defined by this space. Yeah, I love that. It's super interesting because not only are you healing your Pokemon in Pokemon centers, but as we've discussed before, right, Gav, like this mm. way you go to trade Pokemon as well, which is a really important part of the process, right? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really, really like that idea of thinking it, of it as like um, a community centre, but also a like a 
train station like because if if we're in this uh say we're, we're building this hypothetical world who's to say we need train stations in like the regular form that they are yeah yes mm. they exist in the the pokemon video games but when we talk about travel in pokemon there's not a whole lot of need personally for sort of a people mover in that respect because totally. we've, we've got pokemon where we can sort of move around on ride on um not the pokemon was that a ride on right no not the pokemon ride on i mean actually <laughs> ride on um like you could fly from one city to another potentially a lot less time than taking the train mm. uh, the world certainly gets a lot smaller when we bring pokemon into it I think so. I really like that idea of maybe Pokemon centers are the first place that you see in a new town. Yeah, and actually, if you just take the obvious um, parallel from the games, when you use the move fly, which moves you between different cities, mm. where do you land? You land at the Pokemon center. Exactly so that. They, they yeah. probably already knew that when they designed the games. Yeah, and I imagine it's going to be if in in our real world, it's probably going to be quite the beacon of the town. Like it's going to have a probably a bright red roof. Something, yeah. you can, something you can see from afar um, and quite easy to access, be it from the air or the land. Yeah, I love it. And I mean, the other thing I was thinking about was like the identity of a city. People always say, oh, like, what's your favourite city in the world? And each city has its own kind of nuance and identity. And that's normally based around like the temperature, the food, the things that are popular for like tourist trades. And actually, I imagine that in a world where Pokemon exist and you have like regional Pokemon, a city like Quito in Ecuador, for example, might make its identity to be specifically around like a Pokemon like Tropius, who is who you can only find in the tropics. And actually, maybe you would go to Quito specifically to get like a Quitoan Tropius, right? In, in order to have the best Tropius in the world, you can imagine people saying things like, oh, but you need to go get a real authentic one, you know, tree, Tropius from Quito. And they're talking about like, the provenance and how it grows more because of the, yeah. the, the city itself. Absolutely. Well, that, that's like food, isn't it? Like you, you want to travel to a place to go get the authentic version of food. So cities will be known for a particular type of pokemon of of the yeah. area so like they've potentially even been built around these areas where this particular type of pokemon is plentiful because actually it's a rare pokemon in the rest of the world so it becomes a small business really because mm. it attracts tourism and it's something that they can sort of harvest that's really interesting because shrek i'm pretty sure i'm right in thinking that when we built cities back in the day we would found them on what like where resources are mostly abundant, is that fair? I say resources, trade routes, those sorts of things. So it's an interesting, like, in terms of that identity question, like, mm. uh, identity is so steeped in history, right? So it's so steeped in this, like, when it was made and why it was made for what reasons. Mm. So London being sort of centred around the Thames and actually Thames being a trade route out and these sorts of things. When it comes to kind of different Pokemon in different regions, uh, what might be quite interesting is actually identity might start to, be defined by how the city responds to the certain Pokemon in that area. Okay, say more about that. So say, for example, if you had a lot of water Pokemon, mm. uh, actually, you might see cities that are just so much more sort of based on canal systems. It's not that dissimilar to what we have now. Yeah, like Venice. Entirely. Uh, or say, if you have a city on the coast, uh, I don't know, it's a really random one to come to mind, but Mombasa in Kenya, for example, uh -huh. huge tourism based on being near a coastline, but actually it starts to change the way that the city operates. Mm. I think it would be the same. So, like, if you had, yeah, again, water-based Pokemon, for example, uh, there'd need to be more waterways. That would start to craft the identity. If there were loads of flying Pokemon, that might influence whether or not there are tall or short buildings. Uh, and that's, I think, how you start to build an identity. That's really interesting. And then I can imagine a world where our cities have a bigger range of kind of styles and identity, right? Because even if you think about m most big cities in our world as we know it, yeah, they have their nuances and their different architectural styles, but they're all built around the same kind of idea or infrastructure, yeah, so I think the thing is, I, I think a nice way of thinking about cities uh, and just generally the places that we live is that they are always 
a response to what's going on around. Oh, nice. So you could argue that in our sort of current modern society that does sort of begin to feel more homogenous is that actually the kind of conditions in which we create our cities and the conditions that the world is generally aspiring to or trying to be are quite similar. In, a, in my mind, the world becomes a lot more volatile with the yeah. introduction of Pokemon. So cities will just respond. Um, yeah, I think the best way to think about it is that cities are always reactionary. Um, mm. I love that. Groups of people coming together. Even the act of groups of people coming together is reactionary to how you know, new technology is introduced or all sorts of things like that. Just moving on, I wanted to think about the big problems that are created in a world where we have these giant monsters made out of fire or whatever it is and i've got a few problems i wanted to see if you had some clever answers to for the next few minutes shirag so pokemon 208 steelix he's 30 foot tall right (laughs) we've got pokemon mudsdale who's like weighs 900 kilograms you've got pokemon 125 electabuzz here's his pokedex entry it's body constantly discharges electricity. Getting close to it will make your hair stand on end. I imagine there's bigger problems than your hair standing on head. And the third one, Pokemon 157 Typhlosion. If its rage peaks, it becomes so hot that anything that touches it instantly goes up in flames. Seems problematic to me, Shirag. Can I add one more in, if that's okay? Slugma was hotter than the sun. (laughs) Hotter than that actual sun. What are you going to do about that? Uh, Perpetually hotter than the sun. Yes. Not even when he's raging. But we did agree, to be fair to Shirag, that's hyperbolic. (laughs) Okay, so if you you agree that that's hyperbolic, take back everything you've just said. (laughs) No, you can still discharge electricity. I don't think that's too hyperbolic. Sure, sure, I think sure. Pokemon are still going to be very hot. They can use the flamethrower move. Shrag, what are some things we can do in our city of the future to solve for this? Okay, so let's start with the Steelix. So this idea of, yeah, loads of Pokemon are really heavy mm. and really big. Um, I think they're kind of the two most immediate concerns that came to my head. I'm sure there are a few others. Let's go. <laughs> but the two that weirdly came to my head first was... Uh, the first thing you'd have to do, I think, is that you'd have to make the ground floor of every building really tall. Oh, cool. Really big. Just because it can then accommodate for, if not all the Pokemon, the vast majority to exist within an internal space. That's really interesting. Mm. Uh, I think the workaround for higher floors, so first floor and above, is that we would need to come up with some sort of way of just stopping Pokemon being released in those sort of higher levels. So sure. in my mind, it's almost like a security system that uses a similar technology to a Pokeball mm. that is it sort of inhibits your ability to release a Pokemon on anything higher than a ground floor. I love that. Uh, and Gav, yeah. that kind of works with some of our previous discussions, right? Yeah, I mean, I would say that if we have hypothetically created this technology where we can store or transport a Pokemon from one place to another or keep inside a tiny capsule, we can probably invent a similar type of technology which stops us from opening said capsule. Like, yeah, it's a blocker. There, it's like a yeah. Wi-Fi blocker that you have in buildings, right? Yeah, GPS. <laughs> You're yeah, in a particular place, you can't use that Pokemon. You can, maybe so you can cool. bring out your so, Pikachu, but you yeah. can't bring out your Steelix. Oh, that's nice, yeah, because each Pokeball, as we've previously discussed, knows what's inside it or what it's about to teleport back. So there might be some exceptions, because if you have a big warehouse, for example, you might want your Machoke to be able to come on every single floor um, because he's, you know, or she, are employees. And actually, they're five, six foot tall. No reason why you couldn't have them out. But a a Steelix is like, no go. Yeah, Yeah, so I think think the technology to block that pokeball opening that could almost become a sort of force field for any floor above ground floor that Mm. would be my approach that would actually really help us out with battles right gav because we talked about there being um certain areas or zones in a city where you're allowed to battle Mm. um in the same way as you can't just see people going and having a massive ufc fight on the 
roundabout or whatever, right? Like, you don't want Pokemon having huge fights unless they're in a designated area. So you could actually have these Wi-Fi blockers around the whole city that prevent Pokemon from even being summoned in the first place. Yeah, I mean, it's a a technology that is an awful technology, but it springs to mind. (laughs) Is Have you seen that thing with uh, corner shops and they have the high-frequency whistle? Yes! uh, To stop kids loitering outside. Yeah. In my mind, it's a bit like that. Uh, I love that. So maybe there'd be some sort of frequency thing that would not allow Pokemon to go into certain areas. Nice. So you solved for size. What about the other problems? So Okay, so take that weight as well. And it sounds like a really small thing, but I think this would be a massive issue. Is if you had loads of really heavy Pokemon, Mm. floor surfaces would just get completely obliterated. (laughs) (laughs) It's like it's one of you're worried about our carpets. Yeah, but just (laughs) this is like this is like architecture 101. This really concerns me. It doesn't really bother anyone else. Road surfaces, floor surfaces would all just you'd have to find another way around. So the way I've thought about this is that there's this. I guess, in a way, the way you can think about it is that there's a spectrum of loose surfaces and hard surfaces, say, like a concrete floor or asphalt floor or whatever. Mm. Sure. So the problem with a loose floor is that it would just get ruined even faster. It's, it's why we don't have them anymore now that we have cars. Mm. But the problem with an asphalt surface is that it would just get broken and we're now in, like, pothole... Oh, mate. Like, nightmare Armageddon. Tell you what, everywhere. Wandsworth Town... Potholes all over the place. I've written to the council. It's going to be even worse if there are onyxes around. (laughs) So, I was thinking about this, and then whilst watching the ashes, uh, I was like, maybe there's something in. If you if you if you watch the cricket, they take breaks to hammer the floor. Yeah. So I reckon just all floors kind of become cricket pitches. (laughs) And then I was also thinking that maybe could we kind of create a new job spec for? And I was going to throw this back to you. Of like, what would be a good Pokemon for just hammering surfaces? And we just have this sort of f- fleet, I guess, and of just like Pokemon workers that would just be restoring the surfaces constantly. I love it. Gav, who are our Pokemon that are going to be our surface restorers? Uh, I will go with um, Pokemon number 232, Donphan, because I'm pretty sure he's pretty heavy. Uh, and mm. he can roll up into a ball and just like hammer down the surfaces just while rolling. He's efficient. Nice. I'm going to go for Pokemon number 28, Sandslash, because he's got those okay. kind of like long pincers, which are a bit like when you see people replacing divots, so he can be like kind of doing the softer work that Don Fan mm. can't. I like, the, I like the team dynamic. Mm, very, that's me and Gab all over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's perfect. Um, I really like that. That's great. Uh, so what else do we have? So we had like electric discharge and like fire that can melt everything. Okay, so uh, there's a, I think there's probably a point to be made here, which is that we probably have to accept that we can stop it happening. I mean, when you think about buildings now, uh, cities now, we still aren't even in a world where we can prevent these things, right? So actually, the way that you approach it as a problem is how do you mitigate the damage caused by these events? Okay, that's interesting. Uh, so if you take with uh, electrical charge, um, if you... As sort of the climate changes, the east coast of America and the west coast of America, actually both coasts of America, are having to respond a lot faster to power outages, electrical surges, mm. because they're becoming more and more a thing in the 21st century. In terms of how you respond to it, I think basically we've just got to get really good at backup generators for big buildings. Mm. Um, okay. And then also, I think, trying to diversify where our power comes from. Just so that, essentially, we accept it happens, but we can react and respond really quickly. But that's something I would say that we're already having to kind of grapple with. So it's not a huge stretch. Sure. We would just have to reinvest into that. Yeah, and I mean, it probably comes under uh, particular areas as well. When we, we spoke about not being able to get a Pokemon out in a certain area. Let's just say in a particularly sensitive building where their um, uh, electronics aren't electromagnetically you know protected shielded mm. maybe these buildings just put a blocker on no please don't bring your, your electric pokemon out you're gonna like mess with our entire infrastructure yeah maybe maybe it's something like that yeah i love that and actually there's loads of obvious and there's a, there's a subject we didn't really want to cover today but it does make sense 
where this conversation has gone, which is like Pokemon are pretty good power generators themselves, right? Like they can whip up huge gusts, tidal forces. I mean, Shirag, I'm going to show you this. That's like, you know, 10 oh, Pikachus. It's not okay. <laughs> it's not okay. You, see, you see this, Gav? Yeah, yeah. Shirag so- says that's not okay. So I'm showing the guys a gif of like 10 Pikachus all kind of like walking on a treadmill and creating electric static energy. Why is that not okay? I mean, I will, I will add, though, <laughs> that none of them look unhappy. They're all pretty happy to be doing it. Yeah, so... but I think they've been brainwashed. There's like, <laughs> they've got dead eyes. Sure. I quite liked but the, yeah. maybe, uh, maybe uh, say, power outage, and you just had a kind of fleet of flying Pokemon that just sort of generated gust. Yeah. And that's like a quick response team. It's like a part of our emergency services. Oh, that's really nice. So instead of it being how we generate energy as a default, they could be really helpful backup generators. Yes. How do we rapidly respond to this thing that we probably couldn't stop? And I agree, we totally need to protect certain buildings, like hospitals, things like that. Yeah, please don't bring out your Electabuzz in a hospital, particularly near the uh, surgeries. Like, just don't do it. All right, nice. So, Shirag, what else kind of came to your mind before we let you go? Because I know you haven't got much time today. Um, What were the other big things you thought about architecturally with our weird world where Pokemon exist? Uh, uh, Let's do two things, because I think the fire one is really interesting. Mm. And I think it's a minefield of a conversation. Mm. But we were talking earlier about this idea of rage-induced heat. Yes. Uh, and I think you flip that problem on its head entirely. And it's not about stopping the fire. It's stopping the rage. So how, oh. in, how in cities can we kind of create these sort of mindful, peaceful spaces uh, for Pokemon that get really hot when they're angry? <laughs> <laughs> I think they would be on every street corner. Like a Typhlosion <laughs> cool-down spot. So... Exactly. Uh, Kia, actually, he won't know where I'm going with this until I get there. Kia sent me an article maybe three or four months ago, um, actually about how uh, Tokyo train stations keep their general public uh, in like a pacified state. So no one's angry about getting a train. And it's all to do with like... The behavioural psychology of Tokyo train stations is crazy. Yeah, it's wild. Like... It's all about like bird noises. It's as simple as lines on the floor. It's like creating organized chaos that everyone is just happy to be a part of. So I'm sure people smarter than us have thought about this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and can, can probably implement something that, you know, just makes a Typhlosion keep its cool. Yeah, you're so right. Because the other things they do is they have. Um these blue lights that they have at the far end of the platforms at train station. And they're basically like SAD lights. So they create like UV to create vitamin D or whatever else it is that makes you a bit less depressed. And they put them at the ends of the station platforms because that's where people are most likely to commit suicide and jump off. Um, And even the jingles of the... um, each train station has its own little jingle and everything is built to relax you in an environment where you're crushed by other people so there might be loads of different calming cues that we put around our buildings and cities both technological and analog that help to keep our pokemon calm so they don't destroy the world around us yeah i quite like that sounds like a calmer world for everyone too like i just like the idea of like we really have to concentrate on keeping everyone in a kind of good state i love that Otherwise, really nice. we're all burned. <laughs> <laughs> anything it touches. Anything. <laughs> uh, anything else from you, Shirag? What was what else was going off in that big brain of yours? Uh, I was thinking. I mean, I, I, I imagine this comes up a lot, but the age-old question of ghost Pokemon. Mm. Right? Mm. How, do you, how do you deal with that as a problem? And the more more I thought about it, uh, I thought, oh no, this is impossible. Then realize that maybe we're looking at it the wrong way which is that we've been dealing with ghosts and ghouls like historically since we've been building cities we have so if you kind of think if you if you take an example from sort of asia it's like a really great example right or uh, even greece back in the day um sort of the 
ornament around buildings. A lot of that is steeped in a kind of cultural, a kind of storytelling notion of how to keep uh, bad spirits, mm. demons out of the home, out of buildings. Gargoyles, um, horseshoes on doors, uh, all of those sorts of things. Like how I think in Vietnam they have uh, a, the name of it is uh, escaped my mind, but little things like not ha- having three steps into a home because it's considered right. bad luck. In my mind, these have all been uh, already instated methods for dealing with ghosts and goblins. So I was like, it's fine. We've been doing it forever, and we're actually love really it. well versed in it. And I yet to see a ghost. So. <laughs> <laughs> and let's let's say that like obviously we we have decided that that ghost pokemon in our universe that we created definitely are not ghosts they are just something that's been that's manifested in a way that we've decided oh that's a bit ghostly maybe obviously that's where the ideas of ghosts have come from through through the history but also we figured out that a horseshoe on the door is actually quite effective against keeping a haunter outside of your home perfect yeah and yeah. you could even think about like ghost types are weak to other types of pokemon right so it could even just be that you keep certain types of pokemon around to ward off these kind of in quotes ghost pokemon or yeah them like a scarecrow yeah nice yeah. perfect oh, again the gargoyle on the building i love that Shrag, Great. you have been immensely helpful to plug our knowledge gaps. I know you've got to go now. So a, a very warm thank you from Fairly Farfetched and our listeners. And um, yeah, I hope we speak to you again soon. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, guys. We're going to take a break now and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back, fairly far-fetched listeners. Wasn't that lovely speaking to Shirag? It was bloody lovely, yeah. I'm a bit sad it's now just me and you, actually, because I, know. I feel very underprepared for this next segment. I'm always sad when it's just you and me. So what I, I wanted to get into next, um, now that we've kind of established some of the kind of architectural rules of our buildings and some stuff around the city, is think about, like, the city of the future. So even today, like, we're, we've got so many... Um, issues that are affecting city living and just living more generally and i wonder if pokemon creates some nice tailor-made solutions for us so gav what's what hmm. have you been kind of thinking about with this subject okay well i think the first thing is is obviously any new cities that are being built around the world now are taking into account the idea of a smart city um now we mm. can't necessarily say that that would be true for all cities built ever if pokemon existed um but they yeah. can certainly take um the usefulness of pokemon and implement them into their cities in in quite a nice way Mm. now um i'm gonna uh go off on on a kind of a tangent here um and just talk about smart cities very very quickly yeah um and i'm gonna go back to like the 1960s actually and go and talk about walt disney very very briefly weird Um, tangent okay weird tangent right um everyone's heard of epcot right yeah, Epcot um, Center in um, uh, Orlando, right? Exactly. It's a theme park. Or at least a very interesting sort of kind of theme park. Mm. Uh, not your not your traditional one. But it turns out that uh, Walt Disney um, had this idea for a city of tomorrow, uh, which I found very, very interesting. I oh, sort cool. of found this out over the past uh, couple of years of me being really into Disney stuff recently. <laughs> yeah. um, so Adults Epcot that actually, love Disney. Adults that love Disney, childless millennials. Um, <laughs> experiment. Uh, so Epcot uh, stands for Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. Huh. And the whole idea was that Disney had. Uh, and now I, I, I have to have to say I'm not like 100 percent versed in this, so I could be making mistakes when I'm saying this. But um, so if I make mistakes, feel free to correct me, listeners. Key is mm. definitely not going to correct me here. God no. Um, <laughs> um, so his whole idea was he wanted to create a city of tomorrow um, where basically it was governed by the Walt Disney Company, so everyone would be in this community everyone would be working in some form uh for either magic kingdom or the retail spaces in the on the disney disney lot or they'd work in the the animation studios or something like that they would work terrifying in this building the whole idea was that uh any technology or anything like that could be replaced very very quickly because it was not 
basically owned by anyone apart from the company that that, that ran the city. Cool. Um, he died before being able to make it a uh, reality. Um, and it was deemed too much of a risk to actually go ahead and, and, and go through. So they sort of made a theme park instead. Um, mm. But the reason why I'm talking about this is that Singapore is basically the modern day equivalent of that idea um okay. it's a it's a smart city it's i mean it doesn't it's obviously it's not governed by you know a, a private company but <laughs> it is a it is a smart city with the idea that it can constantly evolve and and develop yeah so what i was thinking about is like creating a smart city with uh pokemon basically um and one of the first things that i thought about was uh sort of Pokedex and uh, Pokedex is something in the games where you basically complete a uh, library of uh, Pokemon um, as you catch them and it gives Mm. you information about them but it's not out of the realms of possibility that that's actually the equivalent of your iPhone in your pocket or your Android device in your pocket right you know, it's, there's no reason why you'd have one device. Totally, that only does it's, it's pretty one much thing, a similar right? sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah. So you'd have a exactly. Pokedex that would replace an iPhone, and it would do everything, including the Pokedex functionality. Exactly. And it got me thinking about the this app called Waze. And now Waze is a user inputted uh, sort of GPS app. Mm. <laughs> this is so boring. Um, a user inputted GPS app where people can submit their own ideas uh, or like, oh, there's a pothole on this road or what have you. Now, what you could do with that with that social community and that feedback loop is that you could say if there's any particular Pokemon sightings um, or there's uh, traffic up ahead caused by Tauros, everyone could just like pop it into their, their Pokedex. And okay, just, I see where you're going. It so it's like um, when you see, for example, in Pokemon Omega and uh, Ruby and Sapphire, they have like hordes of Pokemon. So mm, you'd actually yeah. be able to say, oh, there's a horde of Butterfree coming up or whatever. And even in Pokemon Go, right, you have people yeah. like on my WhatsApp group that say, oh, there's a Whismur over there or whatever it is. It's the same thing. Say if you were like, you opened your Pokedex and you were looking for a particular type of Pokemon, you'd be able to see like the, basically the forum comments saying, oh, I, saw, I spotted, you know, a Pangoro in, yeah, the, uh, nice. in, in the forest over there. You know? Yeah, so what, so what particularly do you think that the Pokedex, like, what problems does that solve for in our city of the future? Because the thing that comes to my head is like um, emergency services and um, things like disaster recovery. So like if there, if, if you can um, track where Pokemon are, you might be able to ahead of time using the Pokedex say, by the way, there's a Gyarados coming down the canal and that might allow the emergency services to get to where it needs to get to in order to prevent disasters from happening. Yeah, exactly that. It's it's like a form of... Could be used as a form of um, disaster prevention. Now, yeah, um, things like Got tracking you. the okay. environment. Um, you could even use Pokemon number 351, cast form, uh, for some accurate weather predictions that you could just like Very throw nice. s- straight in there, you know? We don't have to have rubbish manual weather vanes shaped like cockerels anymore we can actually have a pokemon that just tells us exactly yeah what are some of the things that that you've picked up from uh, a smart city that we could use pokemon for yeah so it's maybe not smart city stuff but certainly like kind of the cities that will have to um be able to withstand the pressures of modern day living and i think what i ended up doing is getting two trends or themes and combining them into one overall idea. Mm. So one big thing is overpopulation. We know that our cities are massively overpopulated. I was reading a couple of articles, and um, the stats suggest that by 2050, there are going to be 9 billion people on the planet, and 70% of those 9 billion will be living in cities. Now, cities only make up 2% of the lands of, of the Earth's surface area, right? Yeah. So you've got 70% of 9 billion people living in 2% of the world's surface area, which is insane. And of course, you've got, um, you know, Western medicine um, contributing to things like um, people living longer, we're having an aging population. So th- this is a problem. And you've got, you know, you only have to look to China 10 or it's certainly within the last couple of decades where they had like the one child policy for example right like we are already solving for this stuff um and the other thing that that links to for me is like access to food so for example i was chatting to one of my other architect friends the other day and she was talking about how cities plan for um like resources getting into the city and for example there's not much farming that happens in london which means that 
the majority, if not all of our food, comes from outside of London. And that's not planned for by any central governing body. That's planned for by private organisations. And it's almost by luck and chance that we have enough food. And we only really barely have enough food, right? So more people are yeah. starving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was thinking about those two themes and I looked at a couple of um, ideas about how we're currently solving for that. And one is Shanghai's Natural History Museum. Okay. So it's set in a park in the um, Pudong Financial District. And the building is like kind of a couple of stories above ground and then it spirals down into the ground. And the majority of the museum is actually underground. Okay, yeah. Which is fascinating in a city that's as massively overpopulated as Shanghai, right? They've gone, well, actually, if we just build down into the ground, they use a spiral kind of system, yeah. which means that natural light kind of naturally refracts through the building so that you get natural light throughout. That's interesting. And in the middle of the spiral on the ground level, they've got a pond, basically, with like vegetation and water. And as that water evaporates, it actually cools the building. Mm. Very cool. Which is really interesting, right? And... So if if you take that and then with regards to um, the food shortages, there's loads of underground food farms now uh, in London. Uh, we're actually going to one in a couple of weeks' time called Growing Underground, where they've used a disused underground um, station, I think it is, and started growing crops underground. Mm. Because one of the problems with farming is interesting, right? So climate change prevents agriculture, and agriculture kind of creates climate change. It's this horrible kind of circle. Yeah. And we only have a certain amount of surface area. We can't build our farms up, but we can build our farms down. Because if you build our farms down, you can have uh, ground and groundwater contact at all levels of your farm. And you can just use gravity to like irrigate to get like uh, water and nutrients down to the bottom. Whereas Mm. on land, that would just be impossible. So my big thing is, I think if Pokemon existed, we'd have a lot more underground cities or buildings. But why do Pokemon make it easier to have an underground tunnel system? Now that, that, my dear friend Gavin, is the question. (laughs) So Pokemon number 50, Diglett. Pokemon number 51, Dogtrio. They are literally built to dig, right? Yeah. We had to wait for the technology to catch up with ourselves in order to do these things. Mm. And actually, way lo- even if you think about um, like um, sanitation and stuff, which I know is something that you're, you've been thinking about a little bit, actually, it's not too long ago that we were just chucking our shit onto the streets and getting the Black Plague. Okay, yeah, Then <laughs> the Industrial Revolution happened. We created technology that allowed us to dig underground. But actually, Pokemon would have been able to do this from a long time ago which to me means we would have had underground buildings for probably the last few hundred years. Other ways Pokemon can help. So that kind of pool of um, cooling water, right? It The sun evaporates the water, which cools the building beneath it. Yeah. If it's sunny, you're, you're lucky that you're going to get a cool building. If not, it's not going to evaporate too much. I'm going to say you'd have pools of Pokemon number 225 Octillery... <laughs> Octillery is a water type Pokemon that can learn the move flamethrower through tutoring. So it's creating these lovely pools of water, and then when it's not so sunny, you just use flamethrower and it evaporates the water. <laughs> Sensible. The, the, the third way that Pokemon can help us, Gavin, which I know you're, you're desperate for me to tell you about, is Pokemon number 181 Ampharos. Uh, the ball on the end of its tail emits something akin to natural light, and it's actually used. Um, a bit like a sad light. Mm. Um, so you wouldn't have to build, you know, have these amazing structural innovations of light refraction. You just chuck a couple of Ampharos down there. Jobs are good. Yeah, jobs are good. Great. Um, so underground cities, that's my thing. Perfect. Uh, okay, so I have a very, very, you said like, uh, yeah, I've been thinking about sanitation and pollution. Sure, it's, thing. it's you my love thing. Sanitation. I love sanitation. No, I haven't been thinking about it. <laughs> I've... Uh, <laughs> I saw something about smart waste management. I was like, oh, cool. Like there's bins around that can tell how full they are. And, you know, they get emptied when they get full automatically and stuff like that. Or like they get emptied into an underground chute that then gets, you know, transported to landfill, stuff like that. Yeah. What I was thinking of was adding, you know, I've spoken about these Pokemon a lot in this podcast. There's going to be nothing new for the Instagram, but sorry. Um, Grimer and Shrubbish <laughs> could be, uh, you know, what? why why have, you know, these underground, you know, things in landfill when we've got Pokemon that are pretty mm-hmm. willing to, you know, eat it? Um, we've got Grimer, we've got Trubbish. They could be breeding grounds. They're born from waste. 
but why can't they manage it? You know, it's it's their thing. Yeah. It's their, their 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 big thing. And also, we've got a new Pokemon to talk about. He's not really new, but he has gained a top hat and a mustache. New Weezing, <laughs> Galarian Weezing. Uh, his brand new like Pokedex entry basically calls him an air pu- air purifier. He takes in the dirty air around him and puts it through his top hat. And creates lovely clean air, so we could be using these Pokemon. I mean, it's pretty similar to um, if, if you look, sorry for interrupting you there, but it's a, it's kind of similar in a very basic format to like um, photosynthesis, right? Mm. Like the fact that plants can take in carbon dioxide, which we can't survive off, and turn that into oxygen, yeah. which we then take in and turn into carbon. Like that's really interesting. How there's already cycles of nature enabling us mm. and taking away our waste, and Pokemon would only accelerate that. So you'd think that actually pollution would be less of a thing in the cities of the future. Yeah, absolutely. Or because pollution has been such a thing in the 20th and 21st century, these Mm. Pokemon have been born in that time. Lovely. Nice. Oh, okay. So actually they didn't exist before until we had loads of waste on the streets. Until we started fucking shit up in our cities. Yep. I love that. So actually in similar way to Shrag says that um, cities are a response more than anything else, and they're actually quite reactive. Also, evolution and Pokemon would be a response to the world around them. And actually, if you look at the new ghost Pokemon in the Galar region, Poltegeist. Poltegeist. This, we, we've talked about this a lot, right? And by the way, Poltegeist is a poltergeist that um, inhabits um, a teapot. Hilarious. He is made of tea. Well, we talked about this quite a lot. And he's, uh, he's happy for you to drink it. <laughs> he's happy for you to drink it, which I don't think I really want to drink Poltegeist spout. Thank sure. you very much. Um but um, there, there is something interesting which we've talked about quite a lot, which is Pokemon adapting to the environment that we create. And actually, that Poltegeist might also be a Shelmet, might also be a load of different other Pokemon, but it's just that he happens to inhabit a teapot. And the same thing would happen in our cities, by your logic, yeah. which I love. Yeah. So what we have basically decided on in this episode in our, in our smart city, however brief that, that sort of uh, bit about smart cities was, or just cities in general, is that we are still very, very happy to employ Pokemon <laughs> as a surface. At no point, oh, God, at yeah. no point have we asked permission because they don't understand that. <laughs> the technology in our universe that we're creating is basically these Pokemon can do these things. So we, as horrible human beings, have decided that yeah, it's cool to use them. No, why have you always got to make it sound so dystopian? <laughs> it is yeah. dystopian. <laughs> In no point in this conversation have we got into Pokemon permissions. We haven't consulted Peter on this episode, but I think in history will show that we will have. Um, and stop trying to make me out to be a weird right winger again. Well, making you out to be one or, you know. <laughs> right. Um, if the shoe fits. If the shoe fits. Uh, right. We, uh, today we actually have a time limit, so we are running quite short on time. So I wanted to very briefly... Um, just add in the uh, question that we chose for today. So the question of the day um, was actually asked by a, uh, a friend. Obviously, they always are. Um, his name is Matt. He lives we in... We only have friends that listen to this yeah, podcast. He lives in London. Um, and uh, <laughs> this, I mean, it's not the nicest way to answer this question, um, but we, we kind of have in this episode already. So yeah. Matt asked the question, what does technology look like in our world containing Pokemon? Are people upgrading their Pokedex phones every few years? What inventions wouldn't have happened because a Pokemon exists that meets that need? Did the Wright brothers mm. even bother to conquer flight if they were already flying on the back of a braviary? Now, mm. I th- think we made a decent enough case to answer this question. Yes, people are going to be upgrading their Pokedex phones Every year, very, very likely, because I actually think they'll be made by lots of different companies, but using the Pokedex is going to be an app, right? Like it's not going to be uh, a piece of hardware. Right. It's going to be the the Apple iDex and like that's just how it works from now right. on. In terms of things that don't exist because Pokemon exists, now I still think that the Wright brothers would probably still have decided to conquer flight because we did because birds exist. Obviously, we can't fly on the back of them. But we wanted to fly because other things could and we couldn't. Agree. And actually, my like revolution on that question was, I actually think they would have invented it earlier mm. because Pokemon have sentience. Yeah. They're much more cooperative. We could have learned much more quickly from Pokemon about how we could conquer flight as humans. Sure. Also think about the discovery of electricity. 
right? We didn't need to wait for two guys to battle it out to put it into our home because, you know, we had, you know, Pokemon everywhere using it. You're right. You know, we, we probably, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure a Pokemon uh, electrocuted, like electric shocked a filament somewhere and they were like, oh, that's burning bright. <laughs> you know, that's the sort of, I think it just accelerates do it. Do you think that, going back to your earlier point, actually electric Pokemon didn't exist until we invented electricity? Mm. <laughs> and they're actually a response to our invention. <laughs> Maybe, but I don't think we created a Pikachu just because we invented a light bulb. <laughs> no, but we didn't create it, but by having um, electric charge in our world where we didn't used to... Oh, we changed... Maybe... We changed these we, animals. Basically, it's mutation. Right. Yeah. Okay, maybe. Right. Ooh. Thank you, Matt, for that question. Sorry it was a bit of a half-assed Great answer. question. We're, we're going to get question. back to that, though. Yeah, we'll get back we're to gonna it. We're going to get back to that in a lot more detail. Yeah, I think at some point we'll probably have a technology episode because we've talked a lot about it 100%. now, but we, we, we probably have a few... It's like battles. We have a few areas that we need to cover. So, yeah. sorry for waffling on. Um, thank you for listening to us. Uh, you can find us uh, at Fairly Farfetched on Twitter and Instagram. We have a webpage, fairlyfarfetched.com, and please send further questions in at questions at fairlyfarfetched.com. Now, my final thought. Uh, and this is, uh, you know, completely unrelated to to today's uh, topic. And I'm pretty sure you, you know where this is coming from. Because they're all ghost Pokemon, aren't they? Right. Pokemon number 770. <laughs> Palosand. He's a ghost sandcastle. Buried. Yes. <laughs> His Pokedex entry. My favourite Pokedex entry that I've read recently. Buried beneath the castle. Are masses of dried up bones from those whose vitality it has drained. <laughs> what? Possessed people controlled by this Pokemon transformed its sand mound into a castle. At one point, it was just a mound of sand, but the spirits that it's captured turned it into a castle. What? Each grain of sand has its own will. Palosand eats small Pokemon and siphons no. away their vital essence while they're still alive. No. Once it has whipped no. up a sandstorm to halt its opponents in their tracks, this terrifying Pokemon <laughs> snatches away their no. vitality. Basically, no. in, our, Vito. in our Pokemon universe, you, Vito Palo you can't go anywhere without suffer, suffering the wrath of some ghost Pokemon somewhere that's going to capture and eat your soul. That's disgusting. And you know, the worst thing about going to the beach is when you go home with half the beach still like in your pants and in your pubes and stuff. Like, <laughs> You're going to have loads of, like, palo sand in your pews. Yeah, you're bringing palo sand home because each of them have their own, you know, each grain of sand has its own will. So... Madness, palo pews. <laughs> Stop it. Right, anyway, on that <laughs> horrific note, thanks, Kia, um, for lowering the entire tone of the episode. Uh, what I do? We have been fairly far-fetched. My name is Gavin. My name is Kia, and thank you very much to our special guest today, Shirag. Yep, absolutely. He was a pleasure. And uh, thank you all for listening. Yeah, guys.